you can find your place in the book of Revelation, chapter 15. Revelation 15. And I'm going to cover some ground. And that's my goal over the next couple of weeks is to cover as much ground as we can. I don't want to uh, drag this series out a whole lot longer, though I have enjoyed going through the book of Revelation. And uh, But we'll try to cover in the next three weeks or so the bulk of the rest of the material. So let's take a look tonight here in chapter number 15. Now, if you are joining us kind of in the middle of this, that's okay. Um, tonight's topic is really looking at as you see on the handout, there's seven angels and the bowl, or uh, vial, as it's written here, judgments. So obviously in Revelation, we are looking at some heavy topics. We're looking at God's plan for the end of the world. And we don't know when this is going to transpire, but we've been given this book to teach us and to encourage us to be faithful and to remain steadfast regardless of what happens. So that's some of the themes that we've looked at. Now, previously, just to catch us up to speed, in chapters 10 on through chapter 14, well, let me back up a little, a little bit more. In the first part of the book of Revelation, if you remember, we looked at the unfolding sequence of events. So this happens, and the seals are loosed, one after another after another, and we're introduced to some trumpets sounding and all of these judgments that are coming on the world. And we looked at things like the, uh, the 144,000 witnesses and the two witnesses in Jerusalem. And we saw all these events. But when we got to chapter 10, all the way through chapter 14, it was almost as if as the book is laid out for us, it, it, it took us away from that scene of what's going on in chronology and it gave us a different perspective. And we looked at some of the major themes uh, really through a heavenly perspective. We saw uh, some different visions and things that John had seen. As we come to chapter 15 now, in just a minute, we are coming back to the sequence of events on earth. We're coming back to what is happening. So, pick it up with me in chapter 15. And I want you to notice in verses 1 through 4, there is a victory that we are introduced to. There's a, the victorious saints. So, Revelation 15 and verse number 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we uh, study the Scriptures. I pray that you would help me to teach clearly, and I pray that you'd help us as a church to learn what you would have for us from the Word of God tonight. We pray that you'd bless the children downstairs. Thank you, Lord, for uh, our, our team of workers with the kids and for how hard they work, and I just pray that you'd bless their efforts and that you'd work in the hearts of our children. I thank you, Lord, for the teenagers as well, and be with Aaron as he ministers to them tonight. Lord, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for people willing to come out in the middle of the week. Lord, many of us have worked a long day. We've got things going on. And we just, uh, we've, we've come, Lord, to, to honor you. We've come to be encouraged by you. And so I just pray that you'd, you'd give us the alertness that we need. I pray that you'd help us to be focused tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So you notice in verse 1, really that theme is, was introduced. Sign in heaven, great and marvelous. There's going to be, we're going to look tonight at seven angels with the seven, what's it say? The seven what? I'm in verse number 1. The seven last plagues. So the key concept here is we're looking tonight at the final days of the tribulation. This period of God's final judgment on the earth, we're looking at the final days of that period of time. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. So that's the introduction, and then he gives us some details before we get there. And that's where we come to this picture of a victorious group of saints. And it says in verse 2, Everybody with me in verse number 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten, could you say it with me, that had gotten the, they had gotten the what? What's the word? The victory. They had gotten the victory. So we've seen this over and over again in our study that with all of these trials and tribulations and judgments that are coming, we've been consistently brought back to the group that are victorious in all of this. And we know from the Word of God that if we are believers in Christ, we are overcomers, right? We are the ones that have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And we get another glimpse of that. It's almost as if to say, hey, don't get discouraged about these judgments, but remember, there is a group, there is a remnant that had gotten the victory. Now this group is dealing with those that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. They stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. Now, remember, let's see if you remember, it says that they had gotten the victory over the beast. Who is the beast that we've studied in the past? Some of you will know. The, the beast, is, every time I say the beast, I have childhood flashbacks to the Disney Beauty and the Beast. So, I, just every time, you, I, I, that has nothing to do, that's a total distraction from the point tonight. I just thought I would share that with you, that, that I have to protect my mind from wandering. But it happens every time. But that's certainly not who we're talking about. There's no happy ending for this one here. Who is this beast we're referring to? It is the, it's the Antichrist. We looked at him the last time we were together. And this group, they, they could not be overcome by the Antichrist, but they are rather overcomers. So they got victory over the Antichrist and over his image. What happened with the image? Does anybody remember what happened with the image? How did they got victory over the image? Anybody who was here, I know a lot of folks weren't necessarily here for the series, but what is the victory over the image? Going back. Well, what happened with the image? was the image of what? Ooh. The image is the image of the Antichrist himself. And if you remember, where was that image set up? In the temple. There you go. In the temple in Jerusalem. And the Antichrist said, this is how everybody knew that, yes, this is indeed the one who was predicted, the Antichrist who was predicted. They knew when he said, every person needs to what? worship, bow down and worship this image. Well, this is the group of people that wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Just like the three Hebrew children in the Old Testament with King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said bow down and the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow down. And in that very same uh, spirit, this group that is going to live in the time yet to come, they will not bow down over his mark 
and over the number of his name. So the mark is the uh, often referred to mark of the beast. And the number is the number. Well, you know the number. It is what number? Yes, it is six, six, and six. Now they had victory over all of this. The, and, and we're reminded by this that, that there was no one more powerful. There has been no world leader yet. And there will never be a world leader more powerful than this evil, diabolical one that we know of as the Antichrist. He's got all the ability, all the power, but even he cannot overcome the true people of God. And that should be a reminder for us, though we will not live, I don't believe that we will live in this time that is uh, described here, it should remind us that if these believers could not be overcome by everything that the devil and the Antichrist would throw at them, Surely you and I in this day and age, we can overcome by the Spirit of our Lord God. So, let's move on. In verse number 3, or still in verse number 2, they were standing on this sea of glass, and they have the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Well, if you'd like to do a little extra study, I put a note here. The Song of Moses, you can read all about that in Exodus chapter 15. It's a psalm that was written by Moses. Now, maybe you can think about it. What would the significance be? What do you think the significance would be of these people singing the Song of Moses? Well, you might first have to ask, well, what was the Song of Moses all about? Does anybody know? What the song of Moses was all about? Bill, you, you're not in your head. You've got the, the intro to the song memorized. That's awesome. So could you share that again a little bit more slowly for everybody? Right. And so that took place. If you remember, this is a couple thousand years ago. The people of God are slaves in Egypt. There's an oppressive Pharaoh. Moses leads them out. They come to the Red Sea and they pass over on dry ground. And what happens as the uh, armies of Egypt pursue after them? The, the, the sea closes in on them. It's a victory. So I think you see here, what's the significance of this group of people singing that same song? Well, obviously they've had a, they've triumphed in great victory. They have overcome the Antichrist. Just like, but I think there's also similarity because we know that in the book of Revelation, we're also again focused not on the church, but on the nation of Israel. And so as Israel was delivered in the time of Moses, Israel will be delivered again in the time of the Antichrist in the, in this time of tribulation. So they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. It's a victory song. But then they also sing the song of the Lamb. And they want to make sure that all the praise and all the glory goes to the Lamb. The Lamb was introduced to us in chapter number 5. The Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, the one who was worthy to open the seals in the book. And they sing the song saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. 
For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Do you ever think about the fact that the songs that we sang tonight, actually tonight was a bit of a victory song that we sang, wasn't it? Uh, sing, oh sing, or sing with joy. Man, I wish I could remember it. I mean, the songs would be stuck in my head all week, the tune, the da, 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 da. What's that? Our, yeah, sing with joy, our God is for us, who can be against us? All that, you know, stuff like that, it kept saying in the song. But it's that idea that God is for us, He is our Savior, in Him is victory and strength and power. These are songs that, it's often been said that when we are in heaven, when we're before Him, you know, pastors and Bible teachers, we're going to be out of a job. But the worship leaders and the singers, they're going to have plenty of work to do for all of eternity, right? Because we won't have need of preaching and teaching. We'll, we'll know all things. We'll know Him and, and everything. But we will sing His praises and worship the Lamb forever and ever. And we get a glimpse of that in these people who are victorious. But I would, I would challenge you tonight to think about these people had a victory song. These people had an overcomer song. Let me ask you a question tonight. What song is God writing in your life? What can you sing about that you'd say, you know what? My God is for me. He, I overcame this. It was dark. It was difficult. But I overcame by the Lamb. And they had a song. They could sing about their deliverance. What did you sing about? What can you sing about? What is the song that God is writing in your life? It's an overcomer song. We've seen that in the book of Revelation, that we are known, believers are known as the overcomers. And we'll be able to sing that similar song when we stand before Him. Well, verse number 5 now. So not only do we see the victorious saints, but now we get a little more focus on the seven angels. We're introduced to seven angels of judgment. If you remember in verse number 1, um, before we looked at this victory, this victorious group of saints, these seven angels... Are they have the final outpouring of the wrath of God. God's judgment, God's holy vengeance on sin is dispensed to these angels. Now look at verse number 5. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Boy, that's that's a mouthful and there's a lot there. Did you realize that there's a temple in heaven? Maybe you did. Where did, does anyone know for those of you that like to do some extra study, where can you read about the temple in heaven? Ezekiel? Okay, I wasn't thinking of that, but I'll go with it. Where else can you read about the the, the temple in heaven? And some specific things about it. Any ideas? You can go to the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about a holy place. It describes the earthly temple where there was a holy place where people would meet with God, the priest would come, but that there's an even more holy place that is the temple that's in heaven. So the temple in heaven was... The way, you can read in Hebrews about Jesus taking His blood and making a way for us into that temple. In fact, I think the only reason that John can even see this temple is because Jesus has made the way into the very holy place of God. But it's the temp, temp, 
temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. There's a lot there. The temple of the tabernacle. A tabernacle is simply a tent. It's a dwelling place of the testimony in heaven. What is the testimony? What is the testimony? Any any thoughts on what the, the testimony is? We're getting this. Listen, folks, don't and don't don't space out on me on this because this is a real place we're talking about. There's a real right now out beyond our universe. There's a real place that exists that we get a glimpse of that is the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. It's in heaven. What is this? But it's the house that holds the testimony. What's the testimony? Any idea? Anybody want to take a guess? Yes, sir. Okay, I think you're 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 right on track there when you say the knowledge of the Lord. Specifically, this forever the the, the psalmist said this forever, O Lord, Thy word. Does anybody know how that that verse finishes? Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word of God, this is, and I believe this as I understand it, the word of God that we have right now has always existed and always will. The word of God is as eternal as God himself. And the word of God, the perfect and pure word of God is in heaven. Now, what does it look like? I don't know. But there is a testimony. When Moses was given Ten Commandments, who gave him those Ten Commandments? Who wrote them on those tablets? God did. But that wasn't the first time those words ever appeared. Because where are those, where are those kept? It's almost like, have you ever been to, to um, the, the, I don't even know where it is. Where, where, where do they keep the Declaration of Independence? Where is that? Is it in the it's in the is in the capital of Philadelphia? Nicholas Cage knows where it is, but I don't know if anybody else does. Some of you get that a little bit later as you go as you go home. But so so it's it's in Washington, in an airtight case in Washington. My dad says. All right, but there's an original. It, it it's in case it's protected. It's safe. Nobody's nobody's gonna mess with that. It's heavily guarded. It's protected. Yeah, uh, you, are you getting the Google out right now? <laughs> now you're doubting it. You're doubting yourself. So, but where is the original? So we're we're gonna find out. But listen, as we as we wait, you know, with bated breath to find out, with the National Archives in Washington D.C. In those National Archives is the original copy of the Declaration of Independence. So if there's any question, our government. As long as it stands, as long as our government stands, we'll hold that original copy. Well, how much more secure and steadfast is the eternal Word of God? It's forever settled in heaven. God has given us His Word. God has preserved His Word. And here, John is getting a glimpse of that place where the testimony of the Lord is kept. I think, and I can't prove this, but I think there will be some physical, because God has given us all kinds of physical 
manifestations and representations. He even, he even appeared himself in a physical form in, in the Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that this is a, there, there is a physical book or scrolls in heaven that are the eternal word of God. It's the testimony. And it's almost as if to say that despite what skeptics say and people who, who mock and people who reject, despite all of that, we're reminded as God is about to pour out the final judgment on the, wor- on the world is this. What God has said from the beginning will come to pass. So we're brought into the, ta- the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony of the Lord. And out of that, the seven angels come out. It's almost like I just imagine them as the agents of the testimony. They're the guards, just like that. And again, I'm, my imagination is going with this a little bit, but they come out in, in glory and splendor. The, te- the, the testimony, the Word of God is in there, and these angels come out. And as they come out, they have the seven plagues. They're clothed in pure white linen. Their breasts girded with golden girdles. They almost have a it's almost a bit of a priestly attire, if you remember your Old Testament descriptions, is what these angels look like. It's a, just a quick word on angels. We studied them uh, several, well, maybe a couple months ago. It's important to remember that all of the angels seem to have unique and different appearances, just depending on their role and what God has called them to do. So we, we tend to have a, we think of angels in uniform, in a uniform description, but but they have unique descriptions in the, in the Bible. So these are clothed in pure and white linen. Their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts, wait a minute, the four beasts, well, these guys, we were introduced to them way back in chapter 4. So remember, it's almost as if, like, I, if you remember a few weeks ago, I said it's almost as if it would help us if, if you're an artistic person and you could take everything that John is explaining and instead of thinking of it just linearly, it's, it's almost like a mural that's all coming together. Because the beast that we saw worshiping and saying, holy, 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 and then the lamb, the lamb comes to the throne, all of this took place at the very beginning. They're all still there as the book of Revelation unfolds. And so now we turn to the, to the temple with the tabernacle, the testimony, four angels come out. I see the lamb seated on the throne. I see the four, the four angels coming out and they're carrying, we'll see in a minute, great big bowls, their vials in their hand. And then here comes, here comes the, uh, the, the beasts who were worshiping, crying, holy. They come and it says that this one creature, this living creature comes, the beast comes, and they're the ones holding the the um, the seven the seven vials. So the beasts the beast gives to the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. Now it's interesting that it's the beasts or living creatures, however you, whichever term you prefer, they are the ones that are associated with what aspect of God's character. What do they say over and over and over again? Yeah, they cry holy to the Lord. It's interesting that those who are the ones who herald and proclaim the holiness of God are now the ones that come and bring 
the bowls of the wrath of God. Reminding us that our God is holy, He is just. So, he, the, the vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. Verse 8, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Again, pointing us to His holiness and His just, just, justice and the severity of what is about to take place. Now, it begins in chapter 16. These final judgments are literally poured out from these angels. I heard a great voice out of the temple to the, saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. Now the, this judgment here, there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. They had chosen, they had chosen their side. And so the first judgment poured out. I won't comment a lot on these. I think they're quite self-explanatory. They do remind us that God has acted in this manner of judgment before. It took place, uh, this, these types of judgment, these types of plagues happened in the land of Egypt a long time ago. And now we see similar judgments poured out. So the first, the first judgment, and these I think are going to happen since this, this is the final days. These are going to happen in, in quick succession, I believe. So there's a noisome and grievous sore upon men which had the mark of the beast. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Again, harkens back to the plagues of Egypt. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. Another reason that I think these would be are predicted to happen in rapid succession is, as you can see, the world would not be able to continue very long under these circumstances. Verse 5, I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because Thou hast judged thus. Why? How can, how can you say that God is just? Well, verse 6, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and Thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are Thy judgments. Do you see that that's been repeated? I don't, I don't pretend to be able to explain the justice of God. But I understand that there are many people who would listen to this and they would just have a, they would have a really hard time believing this that that God could pour out this kind of justice or judgment. I'm not here to explain it or rationalize it. I'm simply here to proclaim it to speak to what God says. That 
mankind does not, we do not understand, clearly we do not understand how severe our rejection of God has been. That the creation would literally turn its back on the Creator and intentionally be the antagonist, the enemy to Him. And so we see the, the, what has happened as well, and you have to understand this as well, in the book of Revelation, the rebellion of humankind has reached full climax. So in other words, at this point, there will never have been a group of people that are more hostile to God and His truth than those who exist in these final days. Why? Because they've seen it. If you remember, as we've been looking through the book of Revelation, there have been several times where humanity was given an appeal to turn and to repent. God has even in these days been gracious with people. And we saw with the opening of the of the, the sixth and the seventh seal, we did see people say the great day of God's wrath is upon us, but they did not turn to God. And so their hearts have been especially hardened. And now the judgment is coming. It's a passage that is given to us too as a passage of warning. And so we must never apologize or back away from the severity of it, but we must put it in perspective and, and, and understand it. Okay. So let's see what happens next. I, verse 7, I heard an, uh, another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are their judgments. There will never be a person that feels justified in saying, this is not fair. You study the book of Romans, the, the, that one of the statements is that every mouth would be stopped, that there is not a person who will ever stand before God that will say, this wasn't fair. In verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they, what does it say? They repented not. They repented not to give glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores. And then what does it say again? And repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw... Okay, so, so notice now with the sixth angel... And the seventh angel, we're going to slightly change our themes here. So the first five were very severe judgments. They were plagues. But now the, the sixth and the seventh are interesting. Because what you see in the sixth and the seventh is preparation coming for the final battle that you've probably heard about, the Battle of Armageddon. So it says in verse 12, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. Now why 
This was so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. In other words, the river Euphrates would become a, a would be dried up to be made a massive highway. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. This again brings us back to what we've studied before. The dragon is the devil. The beast is the antichrist. And then there's the false prophet. And now there's these these frog-like spirits. These are these are are demonic beings. Verse fourteen: the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Next week, we'll look at the final description of the mystery Babylon that I mentioned in a previous week, and that'll lead us to Armageddon. There'll be really three movements left. We're going to see the, the destruction of the, of the false religion. We're going to see the destruction of the kings of the earth who rebel against God. And then we'll see, see the kingdom of God come in its glory and its power. But as we move toward this mighty conclusion, it would do all of us well to remember this simple fact. History is moving to a conclusion. And I don't just mean the history of specifically what we're reading about in Revelation, but the history that you and I are a part of. If, and I know that, and I understand we live in a time where people can be very skeptical of these kinds of things. But I would challenge, despite some of the some of the things that are difficult to understand and get a hold of in the book of Revelation, I would challenge any person to look at the world and say, you know what? This world is doing pretty well. I mean, really. If you will look at the course of human history, we have seen over the generations periods of peace and prosperity followed by it doesn't seem like they last very long, does it? It does not seem. I mean, even the, the, the months that we're living in right now. I was a little boy when the Berlin Wall came down, when the Soviet bloc was set free, and all of these nations experienced 30 years of peace and prosperity that they'd never seen before, only to see this, this go back. And it seems like we're... Things are being rewound in some ways. My only point is this, to the skeptic or the ones that are that are having a hard time with some of this, what explanation do you have for the, the mess that mankind continues to make over and over again? What explanation? And, and there have been different world systems that have tried to answer that. I mean, the... 
the, the Buddhist tradition. I talked with a man today, had lunch with a man today who shared with me that he, he ascribes to some Buddhist teachings. We had a really good conversation, but as I thought about it, you know, the Buddhist tradition has tried to answer the problems of the world, and what has it said? It simply said that, well, all of life is suffering. Just keep getting reincarnated, and hopefully you will escape the suffering eventually and get absorbed into the universe. I'm giving a very poor example, but, but just forgive me for that. That's, a, that's one answer. The, the Muslim world has said, well, peace will come through, and, 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 and there are various expressions, but basically when all of the world is, comes under the control of Allah and we'll, we, we use jihad and whether that's a, whether it's violent or not violent isn't my point, but that's the answer that they will bring about this peace. The humanist says that, well, mankind just needs progress and education and things will get better and better. There's all different solutions that have been posited for how this world is going to be made right. The materialist basically says, good luck. You know, we're just randomly hurling through this universe anyway. Do the best you can. When you die, you're dead. Maybe there was meaning, maybe there wasn't. I, I can't understand why that is a popular viewpoint, but it is nonetheless. Many people believe that. But despite the difficulty sometimes we have when we look at passages like this, I challenge you to find an explanation for the problems with the world and the solution for this world than the message of the Bible. It explains how mankind got into this mess and explains the plan for future deliverance. That this history is going somewhere. It's going toward the destruction of the old order and the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. That's where it's all going. Some of it is encouraging and joyful. Some of it is scary. But God has promised He will make all things right. In fact, let me finish with this. We'll, we'll look at it a little more carefully next week. But I'd point you to verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. There came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. That same phrase is repeated in Revelation 21 and verse number 6. 21.6, where he says, in verse 5, he says, Behold, I make all things new. He said unto me in verse 6, It is done. Listen, all of the struggles, all of the warfare, we weren't, mankind wasn't created for this. The Garden of Eden is the picture of what humanity was created for. And God is going to make it all right someday. But He's left us the choice. And that choice is which side will we be on? Will we go about to establish our own order? Or will we be obedient and surrendered to His order? That's the question every person has to ask. And as it said in our text tonight, verse 15 of Revelation 16, Behold, I come as a thief, we don't know when this is going to happen. That's the point. So, watch. Keep your garments. Be ready. Be ready. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24 as well. Be ready. 
be ready. Are you ready? Are you prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus? Are you His? Are you an overcomer that we read about? Make sure you settle that. And once you have settled that, walk in joy, walk in encouragement that you never have to fear this judgment because you are, as I rejoice to be, one of the overcomers, one of the victorious saints. That's Revelation 15 and most of chapter 16. That concludes tonight's study. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the time that we've had tonight and the ability and the confidence that we have knowing your word, believing your word. But I pray that we would uh, be a faithful people, we'd be a ready people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.